This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk on this, the third Sunday of December. It's December 15th, 2013. Scary, 10 days left to Christmas. We're on at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. Today we're live from our New York offices. We have a really interesting topic today, electric vehicle technology in the green space. Our guest is James Bell from GM. And uh, maybe after the show you'll run out and get your loved one or a friend or somebody an electric car. I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether it's business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology, just in case you're a first-time listener. In our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with an industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to techtalk, T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else that we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listing area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send uh, email questions throughout the show at techtalk at imi-us.com. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio but you want to listen to us live, tune into uh, KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can tune into. Uh, or, or go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. They're archived. Uh, you can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free. So please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. For a segment on Week in Review, that's your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista. Okay, this season, Santa's helpers and online shoppers can skip the arduous site-to-site search for the best prices on everything from Legos to American Girl by tracking their must-haves on TrackLF, or IF, I guess, a free website and app, and their tracking reveals the most popular toys. TrackIF works similarly to Pine... Interest, but instead of simply pining or sharing, TrackIf has the ability to track and alert users if the merchandise at their favorite retail shops drop in price, hits target prices, is back in stock, or announces special offers like free shipping. Users also can track if to instantly see where any product is on sale across the web and then view the price history to determine if it's right time to buy. Of TrackIF's users who are tracking toy prices, consumers are watching these toys the most. Fur Real Friends, Furby Boom, Play School Sesame Street Big Hugs Elmo, Crayola Melt and Mold 
factory kit. So get out there and get those gifts. New York Times tells us that New York State's top prosecutor is investigating why American cell phone carriers have yet to embrace anti-theft software on Samsung smartphones, raising questions about possible coordination among the biggest carriers. New York State Attorney General Eric T. Snyderman sent letters seeking information to the chief executives of five carriers, AT&T, Verizon Sprint, T-Mobile U.S., and U.S. Cellular. In the letters, Mr. Schneiderman requested detailed information on why the carriers were not supporting a so-called kill switch that Samsung Electronics wanted to load on its phones. The feature would have allowed users to brick their phones or disable the devices remotely to discourage criminals from stealing them. Samsung has said it was working on the anti-theft solution with the carriers, but last month San Francisco's district attorney, George Gascon, said he had reviewed emails between Samsung executive and software developer that indicated that the carriers were unwilling to allow Samsung to load the software. The emails Mr. Gankon said implied that the carriers were concerned that the software would eat into the profit they make from the insurance programs that many consumers buy to cover loss to stolen phones. <laughs> insurance things are usually a rip-off anyway. Daily News tells us the Metropolitan Trans- Transportation Authority is about to start testing motion sensors, thermal image cameras, and other high-tech gear in hopes of bringing subway trains to a screeching halt when somebody ends up on the tracks. The agency will evaluate four separate intrusion detection systems designed to transmit live video to the rail control center when a rider falls, jumps, or is pushed to the tracks, officials said. Each system is also designed to activate trackside signals to tell approaching motormen to apply the brakes. Officials are unsure how well the systems will work in a harsh subway environment, but the pilot program is the MTA's most ambitious effort yet to curb the troubling carnage that has bloodied the tracks for years. So far this year, 144 riders have been hit by subway trains. 52 of them have died. On average, 134 people have been hit in 49 killed each year since 2001, and that's according to MTA data. So uh, we'll see what stations and keep an eye on that for you. Big bucks for Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is getting yet another big vote of confidence. Lots and lots of investor money. Coinbase, a wallet service that lets users buy and sell Bitcoin, has raised $25 million, the largest investor amount poured into Bitcoin so far. The round led by Andresen Horowitz brings the total raised by the San Francisco-based company to $31 million. If you're a Bitcoin bull, that probably probably music to your ears. If you're a bear, it probably makes you nauseous. There shouldn't be much doubt where Coinbase's investors stand, though. Andresen Horowitz's Chris Dixon, who is uh, joining the Coinbase board, says that Bitcoin is the payment system the Internet was always meant to have. It's decentralized, low-cost, and most importantly, a platform for other technologies. So, where does Bitcoin uh, fit into all of this? or Coinbase. Since uh, launching just last year, the service has become the most widely used Bitcoin service in the U.S. As Bitcoin's price has risen to new heights, so has Coinbase's user base. Service now counts for over 600,000 wallets, 
a huge increase over the 200,000 wallets it claimed back in August. More, uh, more unlike Bitcoin, which is known for its often wild fluctuations, Coinbase is stable, which means that uh, when users put their money into it, they can be relatively confident nothing's going to happen to it. More Coinbase has become one of the more visible, business-friendly Bitcoin exchanges out there. When sites like Reddit, OkCupid, and Khan Academy decided to accept Bitcoin, they did so with Coinbase. So if the whole Bitcoin thing ends up taking off the way it looks like it will, there's a good chance Coinbase is going to take off as well. Okay, there's another month and another update for channels on the Apple TV. Today, the company quietly added four more channels to its media streaming box, including ABC, Bloomberg, Crackle, and KOR TV. American readers will be familiar with ABC. The new Watch ABC channel on the Apple TV allows users to view content from their local ABC affiliate. The Bloomberg channel is a portal into the media from the Bloomberg News and Financial Empire, including the Charlie Rose Show. Crackle is a media streaming service like Netflix that offers up free and pay-per-view movies. Finally, KOR-TV is a Korean television channel that offers videos on demand. There's no software update required to get new channels. They should just appear, and if you don't see them, simply restart your Apple TV and they should show up. Good luck. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest, James Bell, and talk to you about electric vehicle technology in the green space. I'm Tom Diori. It's uh, December 15, 2013. Uh, we're on IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's the 15th of December, 2013. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to be talking to you today about electric vehicle technology in the green space. Our guest is James Bell, and he has over 16 years of experience, is nationally recognized and authoritative resource within the automotive industry. During uh, his tenure, James has diligently analyzed and effectively communicated automotive data and research to multiple constituencies, including the national and international media, automotive manufacturers, dealers, and the everyday car shopper. In addition, uh, James has been featured on national television news shows on CNN, Fox News, CBS, NBC, national and local talk radio shows, as well as within the pages of both respected newspapers and automotive trade publications. James, thanks a lot for taking the time to be with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the great intro. Okay, let's just talk about electric vehicles. And before we get into specifics about GM, um, why don't you give our listeners a, a little background about what an electric vehicle is and a hybrid, the differences. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to start. Essentially, um, any vehicle that would be called uh, an electric vehicle have any sort of additional batteries on board uh, other than those that are just engineered to um, start the car. Uh, it's going to have uh, a couple different types of propulsion. You're going to have full electric vehicles, 
like a Nissan Leaf or a Chevrolet Spark EV that doesn't have a gas tank, doesn't have a, a combustion motor, um, no exhaust pipe, obviously. Uh, it, all of its energy is taken through charging it up, just like you do your, your cell phone overnight and or wherever you're, you're driving the vehicle, and then uh, expanding that energy to get you down the road. The next level is uh, what you call a, a plug-in hybrid. These are um, uh, uh, vehicles more like, say, the uh, the uh, Toyota Prius plug-in or the maybe even the Chevrolet Volt, in that it's, it has a small gasoline engine on board that acts like a uh, – well, okay, let me back up. I actually – I, I got to split the hair a little bit uh, narrower once again. You've got um, uh, pl- plug-in fu- uh, vehicles that, like the Volt, which uh, charge up a battery overnight and drive, in the case of the Volt, about 30 to 35 miles on a charge, and then has a small gasoline engine on board, and it acts like a generator to allow you to keep going. The next kind of layer down from there is the plug-in hybrid. This is a uh, has a smaller battery pack, allows the vehicle to drive in full electric mode for a smaller amount of time, in the case of the Prius, about 7 to 8 miles. And then it, after that, it turns on just like a normal hybrid does in that it has a gasoline power and electric power that work in conjunction to kind of get you down the road. Different levels. Right, and one of the questions I want to ask you later in the show is about uh, how important battery technology is. But let's uh, let's get into what electric vehicles GM manufactures, and then uh, we can go a little bit more into some of the other cars. Sure. Yeah, um, well, in, in regards to what Chevrolet is doing, or General Motors, I should say, uh, you've got the Volt, as I mentioned, the Spark uh, EV, which I also mentioned. Then you also have vehicles like the Chevrolet Malibu, the uh, Buick LaCrosse, that have something that's called the E-Assist. This is a uh, small battery on board. It uh, doesn't actually drive the vehicle forward, but um, when you come to a stoplight, it allows the, uh, the headlights to stay on if it's night, the windshield wiper to keep going, turns the engine off, uh, and, and adds a little assist of power uh, when you go then to take off again from the when the light turns green, and then uh, we also now on the Chevrolet Malibu, and we'll be rolling this out into other uh, vehicles very soon, is um, what's called stop-start technology, and this is actually still you know considered electric vehicle, but it's a very small battery, about the size of a motorcycle battery that's uh, actually in the trunk, and what it allows the car to do is in most circumstances when you come to a stop sign or a stoplight, it allows the engine to turn off again keeping the, the radio going, the headlights on, the wipers on, so forth, uh, and then seamlessly turns the engine back on when you go to um, to go again. And, and that's really where big savings can be found because once you drive any sort of electric vehicle uh, that has, you know, or a hybridized type vehicle that has gasoline power, and when it comes to a complete stop and turns the engine off at the stoplight, uh, you look around at all the cars around you that are just churning away and, you know, using fuel and putting out emissions but not going anywhere, they, they, everybody else suddenly feels very dirty, and I think that's why the uh, stop-start technology in the new Malibu is something that you're going to see much, much more of, not only from General Motors, but from other manufacturers as well. Now, I've always wondered about that because I've uh, been in cars, or even I rented a car, I think in Florida, a BMW, that had stop-start yep. technology. It wasn't an electric car. It was a gas car, and I was just wondering if that really does save... Obviously, it saves pollutants, but does it save on gas with the start-stop because you're stopping and then you got to start up again? Does that? No, no, no. no. There's, it's not uh, starting the vehicle doesn't require any fuel really. Uh, just a uh, just a tiny little blast of the from the fuel injector to get the engines uh, rolling again. 
Uh, no, but I mean, you know, anytime you're not using fuel, as in at a stoplight, then, you know, yes, you're definitely saving fuel. And that's not, uh, you know, balanced out or, or uh, that advantage lost when you go to start it again. And that works pretty well. You haven't heard of instances where it stops and doesn't start again? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. No, this start-stop technology has been in place now for uh, oh, probably almost a decade now in many different vehicles in Europe. And so what we're really? seeing is manufacturers start to bring that over to the U.S. market just now. But, yeah, it's it's not a uh, an immature technology. It's been there for some time. So how do you compare the Chevy Volt and the Cadillac ELR to the Tesla, for example, or even a, a Prius? Well, you know, I think really, and I'm, I'm glad you, you asked the question in that, in that way, you can't compare those vehicles because they're all very different and provide very different experiences. Um, you know, just to take the group you just said, the Tesla is a full battery electric vehicle, no gas tank on board, no exhaust pipe, doesn't even know what gasoline's for. Um, the Volt and the ELR that you mentioned have range extensions, so you've got a battery power for a vast majority of the drive. In fact, the average American drives about 28 miles a day. Both of those vehicles um, have more than enough battery on board to to uh, be able to cover that drive. So, in fact, in the, in the case of the Chevrolet Volt, we're finding people that are going to the gas station about once every 1,000 miles. So, obviously, that 28 miles per day, uh, sorry, that 35 miles per day is more than enough for many many drivers. And um, and then you go to the plug-in Prius. After that, it's really just uh, more if you have a very short drive, maybe, um, uh, you know, you just drive a couple miles in, in city, stop and go, uh, then then you're going to really maximize the electric uh, range on that vehicle. Once you get on the highway for any distance, it's going to kick over and act like a normal hybrid very quickly. So, again, you can't really compare them because they all represent very different experiences. I mean, in the case of the Tesla, uh, while it is obviously wonderful to, to be able to go 250-plus miles on a charge, you're also limited to that 250 miles. Uh, now, they are setting up stations um, called supercharger stations around the country, but it isn't like uh, it is with gasoline where you can just you know jump in the car and know that uh, by the time you need fuel, you'll find a fuel station. Um, so it, it really depends on, on, you know, all these different electrified vehicles we've talked about. It really is very connected to how you're going to use it and, and finding the vehicle that best meets those needs. And that's what's kind of fun about these days. You know, we're, we're able to choose our vehicle based on its method of propulsion, not just does it look good, is it a good color, does it have enough seats, but I can say, wow, I, you know, I only drive 10 miles a day, so an electric car would be perfect for me. Oh, but then occasionally I do drive uh, to Las Vegas, so maybe a Volt or an ELR would be best for me because it has that range extension. That's interesting. So in addition to uh, the type of propulsion system, it really now becomes a lot more, I guess, personal because you're, you're, you're selecting a vehicle that meets your everyday needs but also meets those, I guess, exceptional needs beyond what you do every day. Yeah, I mean, you just say, I always say if anybody, no matter what kind of vehicle you're looking to buy, the smartest thing to do is take, uh, you know, a week or two and have a pad of paper with you and, and in your current car, really analyze how you're driving. Make a log. What, what do you do with this vehicle most of the time? Uh, what you're going to find is that the car, a vast majority of the time, is sitting in your driveway or in your garage or in the parking at work or at school. And so we often think that we need to have a vehicle with a ton of built-in range if you're looking at an electrified vehicle, but you're really not driving it all that often. 
unless you are driving it very often, maybe you've got a 70-mile commute each way, well, then that's when you want something with range extension or a vehicle like you mentioned, the Tesla or something that has even more charge uh, uh, power built in. But that's that's kind of the game also is that in order to get those longer uh, durations or uh, longer ranges from a, a full electric vehicle, you have to add battery. And when you add battery, you add weight. And then when you add weight, you have to add more battery to compensate for the weight. And then you have to add more battery to compensate for that. And you end up in this big cycle. And, and that's why I think um, you know General Motors' approach for having the range extension is really the best of all worlds. Because, as I said, what we're finding over millions of miles of, of, of drivers using this vehicle is that they're using it as an electric car and uh, never going to, you know, only going to the gas station once every thousand miles, not going on a, on a weekly basis like they used to, and using it as an electric car a vast majority of the time, but having that backup of gasoline if need be. We're going to take a break. We're talking to James Bell about electric vehicle technology. I'm Tom DiOrio, or an IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 15th of December, 2013. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio. December 15, 2013, 10 days to Christmas. Um, we're talking to James Bell about electric vehicle technology. And before the break, uh, James was telling us about um, how you really need to tailor a vehicle to your everyday needs. And uh, at the end of the discussion, he was talking about batteries, pros and cons, I guess, of the more you put in, the heavier the car gets. I don't know if this is on topic, but where's battery technology going? Isn't that key to this whole thing? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, you know, the people are looking for some sort of magic bullet uh, to, to fix batteries, you know, a, a lightweight, small battery that doesn't have any sort of uh, thermal issues that can be charged in 10 minutes and last 300 miles. You know, that's the dream, but we're not there yet, and we're not going to be there anytime uh, very soon. There's a lot of very smart minds uh, working very hard in battery labs all around the country uh, and around the world, for that matter. Um, some of the best brains in propulsion are, are on batteries because that's really the the holy grail for a lot of different uh, a lot of different driving. But uh, yeah, we're not quite there yet, um, and, and that's why I think this is such a fascinating time because based on the technology that does exist. Uh, you can choose the vehicle that uses that technology in the way that best suits your lifestyle. Temperature, does that affect uh, these cars, either the battery power or the hybrids at all? I mean, we know that uh, by talking to uh, our engineer in the production department, Robert tells us about the fluctuating temperatures, although I hear it's uh, pretty cool for you guys out there uh, lately, but it gets pretty hot into the three digits. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in Phoenix, and then uh, here in the Northeast, it gets to below zero. So does, is, does, should that shade my decision on what I'm getting? Um, it, it sort of should, yeah. I mean, um, the battery packs like used in the uh, Nissan Leaf, as example, are an air-cooled package, which for, you know, uh, most moderate driving, most moderate uh, climates is, is fantastic. But they have had some issues with, uh, you know, very hot temperatures, especially pulling, you know, driving the vehicle and then pulling into a parking lot with uh, black asphalt and, and parking the vehicle there and having that heat radiate up into the in the engine 
it has reduced some of the range there. Um, and also cold weather, uh, uh, you do have some range issues because um, uh, from the air-packed air uh, or air-cooled uh, system getting a little too cold. Um, plus, you have, of course, the issue of of uh, when they, when it's cold outside, you're running the heater. Uh, if it's dark, you're running the light. So you're using more power in the normal drive as well. Um, the alternative to that is what other manufacturers like General Motors are doing is having a heated and cooled um, uh, kind of a fluid that the, the batteries sit in, almost like coolant uh, in your radiator today. And that's that's uh, the the best way. I mean, there is a little bit more cost involved and some some complexity. Not that it's a problem; it hasn't caused any issues at all. But uh, you know, obviously, it's not as simple as just air cooling. But it does relieve any pressures from either very high or very low temperature uh, fluctuations. Okay, so that's interest. That's an interesting uh, consideration. You mentioned when uh, you were describing uh, the Tesla that uh, yeah. they're starting to put up fast charge stations around. Um, what mm-hmm. are automakers doing in general to help uh, create an infrastructure that makes this look um, obviously not a gas station on every corner, but um, more acceptable to the general public who right now no, is driving that's, their- that's a great question. In fact, I've got in a, a very interesting moment happened to me probably in June, I think, of this year. I went to the Electric Drive Transportation Association um, meeting, uh, annual conference in Washington, D.C., and this was the first time that I had attended this conference, and the vast majority of the people sponsoring it and the discussions and uh, the keynote addresses and so forth were from infrastructure, uh, or were on infrastructure discussions, I should say. They were uh, from companies like Bosch and uh, utility companies uh, all around the country, Southern California Edison. Um, and, and other sort of uh, battery and technology companies looking at that infrastructure and saying, okay, the vehicles are now starting to roll out. We need to get that infrastructure in line. And that's always been the big question about electrified vehicles. You know, the proverbial chicken and egg, do you have the network of charging available and then put the cars out or the cars first? And I think um, probably the cars jumped out a little bit early. Of course, they can be charged at home, so that wasn't a negative necessarily. But uh, I think now we're really starting to see uh, acceleration on the infrastructure side. And my, my assumption is from, you know, attending lots of conferences like this is that you're going to see these charging stations really start to pop up in, in public places like in front of Starbucks and in front of Walmarts and uh, grocery stores and libraries and public places, places where you might, all, 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 you know, already be stopping in for 15 or 20 minutes to get a latte or grab some groceries or so forth and be able to plug in and charge your car while you're already using that facility. Um, I, and I think um, we're seeing, you know, industry look at this. You know, if you've got um, a chain of grocery stores in a certain town and you uh, go to the expense of putting charging stations in front, well, suddenly as we see more and more electric cars, you're suddenly becoming the go-to chain for those people that own those cars. Plus, they usually put the charging stations right near the front, so you've got a uh, shorter walk into the store. So I think that's what we're going to start to see is, again, in front of, uh, of public places that we already frequent often uh, and park out in front of, like, in front of coffee shops and so forth, I think you're going to start to see uh, uh, utility companies and uh, charging industry start to work with those companies to, uh, to, to lay out these, um, these, uh, these stations. I don't necessarily see, um, at least in the short term, 
uh, a great amount of charging stations to be laid out in a similar pattern like we see with gasoline stations because there's, you know, on, on average, even in a, uh, a fast charging, a 440 volt charge, it still takes at least 15 to 20 minutes to uh, charge up, uh, to put enough power in to get you on. So, you know, again, that's not, you don't want to stand at a gas station uh, for 20 minutes, but we definitely go and stand in line at Starbucks for that long. That's interesting. A uh, couple of questions that raises. Is this a money-making deal for for whoever does it? I mean, do they charge you for the charge, or is the charge free as an incentive? What is there a is there a plan for that? I think it's up to whoever is going to be involved in it. I, I, my assumption would be that in the case of Starbucks, you know, they were very early with offering free Wi-Fi, and so I'm seeing it probably set up in a similar fashion. Uh, so, you know, just to guess, I don't know what Starbucks plans are. I'm not assuming to know, but I would bet that they would offer some charging stations to be free of charge because they know you're going to come on in and, and uh, you know, spend 20 minutes with them getting a coffee and a, and a Danish and so forth. So uh, for them, it would be a good marketing move. Um, in front of other places, it, it might be something that maybe they want to charge you a little bit as well. But that that's to be, you know, we don't know. There's There's no master plan to this. Uh, where the, the industry and, and society are making the rules up as they go, and, and that's what's so fascinating about being in the automobile industry at this time. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, to do a little research, I w- went and talked to the Tesla people, and as you said, they're planning on setting up these stations, and the selling point yep. that uh, the salesman gave to me was that, um, well, you know, we're going to have these uh, fast-charging stations, you know, and he showed me the map mm-hmm. of how, how they're going to do it. He says, you know, you'll pull right. to a diner, go have a cup of coffee and a piece of cake, and by the time you come out, your car will be completely charged, and you can go another 300 miles or whatever whatever the range right. is. Which leads me to the question of, is there at least a standard on what the charger is, or is it like a phone where everybody has their own different charger and you need adapters for everything you do? Well, no, that's a great question. In Asia, there's a different standard, uh, but for the U.S. market, we have adopted a standard, um, not just amongst American car makers, but vehicles being sold in North America are all to one standard for what's the uh, what's called the fast charging or 440 volt. Um, I mean, if you let's say you bought a, uh, um, a Chevrolet Spark EV, you're going to have the ability to charge it at 110 or 220 at your home with the same adapter as then when you go to a, a fast-charging 440 station, which we don't expect to see people having 440 four volts available from their home, uh, that same charging unit will be able to handle that higher rate. Got about uh, 40 seconds left in this segment. Are the home fast chargers still very expensive? Uh, no, they've been subsidized to some degree by different manufacturers, um, but I, I I don't know the numbers, uh, you know, definitively as of now. But my my feeling is that you can get a home charging unit, uh, you know, purchased and installed for um, less than you know maybe two thousand dollars. Which I know that sounds like a little bit of investment up front, but when you balance that up against the fact that you will never be or very rarely be visiting a gas station ever again, that's one of the fun things about people who own uh, electrified vehicles they suddenly don't care about the price of fuel because they're just not using it right okay we're going to take a break we're talking to james bell about electric vehicle technology i'm tom dioria we're on imi's tech talk on kfnx am 1100 it's the 15th of december 2013 we're going to take a break please stay tuned we'll be right back after these messages 
Aircraft IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio. It's the 15th of December 2013, and we're talking to James Bell about electric vehicle technology, and um, we're talking about charging stations uh, and infrastructure before the break. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm telling you, what all of what you're saying is uh, very intriguing. I I commute my commutes uh, probably about 30 or 40 miles each way. And I was really enticed by looking at the Tesla. It's a nice car, and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to worry if I had to run around to a couple other clients that I'd get stuck somewhere. Um, And it was about uh, six months too late because I had just started a three-year lease on another car. But I think technology and their charging stations start to pick up. I think that that's going to be a good choice. To be very fair, the Tesla, while it's an absolute tour de force, it's a wonderful vehicle, it's also very expensive. And so if somebody doesn't have, you know, $100,000, $90,000 to throw at a car, there are ways of being electrified for a vast majority of your drive without spending that much money. Um, you know, you, what did you say your, your commute is, uh, 30 or so miles each way? Yeah, it's about 37 miles each way. Yeah, I have, I have a very good friend here in Southern California who um, that's about his drive, too. And uh, and I talked uh, to him about all the different choices. He really wanted a Nissan Leaf, uh, but the issue there is that you get about 85 to 90 miles of range. But he didn't like the idea of that you know he'd be using two thirds of his of his charge to get to and from work. And if he got a call from a friend on the way home saying, "Hey, come on over and watch Monday Night Football tonight," he may not be able to make it home after that. So that was his <laughs> reluctance there. That's that's when I presented to him what you know the plug-in Prius and the Chevrolet Volt. These are vehicles that run electric most of the time. And in the case of the Volt, uh, in his his position and yours, you'd be gasoline-free for more than half of your drive every day. And then the part where you'd be using gasoline, you'd just be sipping it. You know, it's really just uh, running as a generator in that point, not really driving you down the road. So. Uh, you know, I just caution to your listeners, yeah, yes, the idea of having a vehicle that has all that range of full electric like the Tesla is obviously appealing, but again, it's quite an expensive proposition. There are ways to drive uh, a vast majority of the time also electric only, gasoline-free, and do it for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, for $30,000 or $35,000 in the Chevrolet Volt. Now, James, there, there were, uh, I remember when, uh, there was a push on um, these types of vehicles where you got government subsidies or incentives. Is that still available? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bucket of uh, funding available uh, as a tax credit, not a deduction, but an actual credit that you get the money back at tax time uh, on uh, on um, uh, these full electric or, or uh, zero-emission vehicles. Um, it's $7,500 from the, the federal government, and again, that bucket of money has not run out yet, so uh, if any of your listeners are considering it, then that's obviously a, a good reason to jump on. And then state by state, there is also uh, tax credits available. I know the state of uh, Colorado, I believe, offers another $6,000, and I think California had uh, 2000 or 1800 something like that, so it varies state by state. So again... Uh, more than enough reason to just do a little investigation before you go shopping. But that can, you know, again, that's that's a full credit. That's dollar for dollar back into your pocket, and that can really uh, knock down the price. So when you take those credits involved, and then you add that in certain markets, it also allows you to use the carpool lane or the uh, high occupancy lane, 
and the fact that uh, your cost of ownership is so much lower because uh, we see uh, insurance rates being lower on these kind of vehicles. You're obviously not using nearly as much gasoline, if, if any at all. And maintenance on these vehicles is much lower because you don't have all the moving parts of a combustion engine on board. You're running as an electric uh, car, which is like driving a, a, a very nice golf cart. We know that technology well. There's not many moving parts. Things don't wear out. So it really, while it might cost you a little bit more up front to go electric, if you are very honest with what you need to use the car for, it can pay you back in spades in a very short amount of time. Now, James, uh, Dan, one of our editors, just gave me a, a question here. Um, yeah. Are you really saving money? In other words, um, gas costs a lot. Uh, right here, I don't know, $1.85 or something for the middle range. Uh, but when I get home and I put a charge on my car, how does that compare you know, to fully oh, charge up one of these vehicles in terms of my electric bill? Great question. I live in Southern California where some of the highest uh, um, electric rates in the country are. I had a Volt for six months in my home. I charged it up every night. It added, I think, about 12 to $13 to my monthly um, electric bill. Uh, and, of course, during that time, I mean, for many weeks, I would never even go to the gas station. I would run purely electric all that time. So, yes, it definitely does pay you back. If you really, uh, you know, again, are honest with how you're going to use the vehicle, and in, in most cases, you're not, most people are not driving more than 20 or 30 miles a day, then it, it just, I mean, not, not only in the dollars that you're spending, but in time as well. The, the hassle of, oh, no, I'm running out of gas. I'm in a part of town I'm not familiar with, and now I've got to have the, uh, the stress of finding the gas station and then getting there and standing there for five minutes, uh, possibly where it's cold or something. I mean, all that is just washed away because you know when you get home, you're going to plug in, and that's that, just like you are with your cell phones today. Uh, that's pretty good. Thank you. Um, okay, so we talked about the Chevy Spark and the Volt. A uh, little yeah. bit about the Cadillac ELR, which is a very nice-looking car. Uh, oh, yeah, beautiful car. Uh, I saw it. I'm trying to remember the show. I don't know if it was at CES maybe last year they had that. Yep. Maybe you could tell us about what other GM vehicles are cutting edge and advanced technology from GM or just in general. Well, let's, we can talk about the um, the ELR briefly. Uh, basically, this is Cadillac's. Some, some are saying it's Cadillac's version of the Volt, but that's actually not quite true. Only about 80% of the Volt and the ELR are common, and that's a lot of the propulsion systems. But it's been tuned much differently, uh, rides much differently, and as you say, it's a, it's a concept car that you can actually drive down the road. In fact, I had one in Palm Springs a few weeks ago, and I felt like uh, you know an absolute rock star, Jay-Z, driving down the road in this car because... People stop and stare. They can't believe that they've ever seen anything that looks this pretty on the road. And then, of course, it's silent because it's running on full electric power. So uh, it's got that going for it, too. So, uh, you know, we're excited about that car. It's just going to be hitting showrooms uh, oh, probably in the next week or two. It's just started uh, full production and started to be delivered now. Um, I think as far as future cars, you're just going to see more diversity in this kind of spectrum of choice between you know, uh, full electric vehicles like the Nissan Leaf uh, through, uh, you know, kind of plug-in hybrid vehicles. Uh, you see a really good example of that in what BMW is doing with their new i-series of vehicles. 
they have the uh, the I3, which is a small uh, kind of four-seat city car um, that is a full electric vehicle. However, you can uh, have as an accessory installed a small uh, motorcycle engine, uh, actually a two-cylinder motorcycle engine that acts like a generator, just like you see in the Volt, as, uh, as an example. Um, and that's just going to be coming out to market now, probably about, uh, I think it's about $40,000, maybe a little bit more for that. And then they also have something coming out called the i8, which is a plug-in hybrid vehicle along the lines of a Volt or a, <clears throat> excuse me, or a, uh, a Prius, but it's a sports car. It's a gorgeous vehicle. Uh, looks like it's right out of the set of a Tom Cruise uh, in the future type movie. Uh, really fantastic, very expensive, obviously being a BMW sports car, but again, electrified. And, and really the, the core reason why you're going to see more and more diverse electrified vehicles from every manufacturer is because there's a lot of pressures in the industry right now to lower emissions and uh, sorry, yeah, lower emissions and raise fuel economy standards. And the way to do that is by making sure that you know you're not running the gasoline engine. And the way to be able to get down the road without gasoline is electric. And so this is not going to be a you know a Toyota or a GM or a BMW thing. It's going to be an industry thing that you're going to see different ways of going electric from every car maker in the very near future. Well, James, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. How can our listeners follow up with you if they want want to ask you some more questions? Probably the easiest way is um, to go to gm.com. You could uh, find a link to me there on um, asking any questions, or better yet, on Twitter, you can hit me up at uh, uh, petrolhead, um, or uh, even offer my email address, james.n.bell at gm.com. Love to answer the questions. Great, James. Thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time. You're very welcome. Next week, we're again going to be live from our New York offices, our Week in Review, and Thomas Quinlan's going to be discussing what is the deep web and why is Washington scared? Ooh. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for our Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer. Matt Campagni is our executive producer. And without Robert Bombach and the production department at KFNX, you'd never hear a word we say. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. And remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email message to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.